0: Good morning, Church on the Rock. Good morning, Rashad. My name is Rashad Cunningham. I'm the pastor here at Church on the Rock, and I am so grateful for every single face that I see in this place. We do not believe that we do anything special to attract anybody here. We are very basic, very simplistic in our approach to the gospel. However, we do believe God puts it on your hearts to come and gather with us. So the reason we do the Good Morning Church on the Rock, Good Morning Rashad, is because even at 11 o'clock in the morning, people are asleep, some people just thinking about the big game that they're doing this evening and stuff like that, but we want to make sure you're here. We want to make sure you're here for this message. We want to make sure you're here to receive a word from God and that you're excited. So when I say, Good morning, Church on the Rock, let me know you're here by screaming, Good morning, Rashad, as loud as you can. Good morning, Church on the Rock! Good morning, Rashad! There we go. So we are at Friday. Uh we literally did not do this because of any super spiritual reason, except for the fact that honestly. Every day should be friend day that we gather at church on a rock. You should always be inviting somebody to church who's a friend, and we'll talk about that a little later. But we call this friend day because we figure, hey, if you're going to be spending time with them in the evening, why not spend time with them in the morning in the house of the Lord? Amen? What I'm going to ask you to do is a little bit different right now. I don't care who you're sitting by. Please pull your phones out. Pull your phones out real quick. Everybody pull their phone out. Just follow me here. Just pull your phone out right here. We're trying trying to capture a moment, all right? And, and what I want you to do is I want you, whoever you're sitting next to is your friend right now, I want you to take a selfie, okay? All right, that was fun. That was different, right? You got a friend in me. All right, everybody. Um, today we are going to be taking a break from our series, Hello, My Name is Hypocrite, and we will be doing a, a sermon that kind of deals with friendship. We're going to be doing a sermon called, That's What Friends Are For. Please don't start singing the song because then I'm going to... Get carried away singing a song. I want to preach the sermon. All right. So we're doing a uh, sermon called "That's What Friends Are For." We're going to be in Proverbs 17, verse 17. We're doing one verse. So for those of you who know me, that means it might be an hour long, because it is one verse, and I get caught up in the words. But I did very good last service for those of you who are here. I did. Jason. (laughs) So I'm going to read this verse, and then we're going to dig into this thing. We're going to pull it out. Please, once again, I know there's a game after this. I know there's lunch after this and all these other things. Give me your undivided attention. Give God your undivided attention so we can just learn what this verse has to say to our souls regarding friendship. So the verse, Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I'm going to repeat that. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this verse, and we're going to break it up into three parts. We're going to talk about a friend loves, and then a friend loves at all times, and then a brother is born for adversity. We're going to take this one little verse and chop it up into three different parts. So my first question, and you can actually interact if you want to, how do we define Friends in today's world. Anybody? Love. That's a good one. That's the obvious one, David. Okay. (laughs) Anybody else? Loyalty. Huh? Companionship. Companionship. I love that. Who said that? That was good. Mama Gail, how you doing? You made it. All right. Amen. Amen. All right. So check this out. Um, Is it Facebook friends? Because I got like 4,800 something Facebook friends. Are all those what we define as friends? Uh, Right? Is it is it uh, what we do on Sunday morning? Like, hey friend, hey Larry, how you doing, friend? How you doing? You doing all right? all right? Hey friend, hey Brittany, hey friend, how you doing over there? And then I don't talk to you anymore during the rest of the week, and don't know anything about your life or anything. Is that friendship? Yeah, this is what we do, right? We're like, oh, I know him. That's my Facebook friend, right? <laughs> or we say, oh, I know that person. We go to church together. Oh, is she married? I don't know. Is he? Does he got any children? Mm-hmm. We go to church together, that's why we're friends, right? So it's funny because worldly, from a secular standpoint, friends are really just anybody who will smile at us long enough to make it feel like we're cordial, right? But the Bible says a friend loves. So a friend is not superficial, but sacrificial. Think about that, that's my first point. A friend is not superficial, but sacrificial. Just because I show you something on the surface doesn't make me a friend. Just because I tell you a couple good things on a Sunday morning while I'm up here preaching doesn't make me your friend. All of that is superficial. All of that is on the surface. Anybody got friends like that? Anybody got friends like that? Y'all got all these great friends, I guess. All right. And anybody got... Maybe somebody is, is a superficial friend. Anybody been a superficial friend, maybe? If we're being honest this morning, I've been a superficial friend. There's been people I've just said it, what I had to say in the moment because we were face-to-face and moved on about my business, and they've done the same with me, and we call ourselves friends, but there's really nothing there. But the Bible says a friend loves and love is sacrifice according to the bible. Why do we know that? Well, let's, 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 uh, let's go to John 3:16. The good old verse that everybody knows. John 3:16. Look at this. For God so what? Say it again. For God so what? Love. The world that he gave his only begotten son. Love is sacrifice. You see this? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the gospel. I love you, so I'm sacrificing my son for you. Why? Because I love you. So when it says a friend loves, a friend should be sacrificial, not superficial. 1 John 3.16 helps us with the same thing. It says, we know love by this. So believers know love by this. How do we know love? It says that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. This is what friends do. This is what the love of a friend, according to the Bible, is. A friend love. So I want you to think about that for a moment, okay? Because a lot of us are like, well, yes, depending on what the person is or does, that's how they're going to get my love. That's how they're going to rec- receive my love. And there's all this, this, these conditions to this love, but that's not godly love. That's not how God loved us. That's not how he calls us to love others. Friendship or the love of a friend is supposed to be sacrificial. So we see in the book of Job one of the greatest, uh, greatest examples of this. So let me give you like a, paint a picture real quick of the book of Job. There's this guy named Job. When you see it in the Bible, you will read it J-O-B, but it's not Job, okay? It's Job, all right? So what happens is this. What happens is this. Job was a millionaire in his time balling, shot-calling in his time. Job had it going on. He had 10 children, which according to then in the standards of the culture to have a lot of children mean you were blessed by God. He had 7,000 sheep. Who has 7,000 sheep, right? He had 7,000 sheep and like 3,000 oxen and like 500 donkeys. And I mean, Job just had it going on. He was blessed. He was a righteous man. He was right by God. And because of a conversation that takes place in heaven between God and the one known as Satan, uh, Satan basically challenges God, challenges Job, and says, hey, if you take away all that blessing from him, surely he will curse you. Surely he will curse you and not believe in you and give up on you. So God says, hey, I'll take away the hedge of protection around him. You can do what you want to him, just don't touch him. That was the first time around. So Job loses all 10 of his children. Think about that. All 10 of his children. I've lost one child um, who's been born, and I actually lost them, and it was devastating. And that child only lived for 25 hours. He lost all 10 of his grown-up children. Think about that, all right? And then he lost... All 7,000 sheep, all 3,000 oxen. For you today, that's losing your house, losing your car, losing your means to provide because that's his job. I mean, all of these things were lost. He lost his servants. And if you think about it, if you got 7,000 sheep, you can't shepherd 7,000 sheep alone, right? I mean, you can barely shepherd 100 sheep alone, right? That was, a, that was a clue for y'all to help me out here. All right? But anyway, anyway, anyway look, look, you can't shepherd 7,000 sheep alone, right? You have to have many servants, right? And 3,000 oxen, all these things. You need help with all of that. He lost all his servants too. So what happens is in Job 2, verse 7, we come into this story with that context. And it says, Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he smote or inflicted Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So on top of losing all this stuff, Job didn't, he didn't say anything to God. He didn't blame God. He didn't say nothing. In fact, he worshiped God is what it says at the end of chapter 1. So Satan goes back into the presence of the Lord and goes, well, of course he's still worshiping you. That's why they call him the accuser. What would happen if you allowed me to do something to him? So God's like, okay, have your way with him, but you can't take his life. You can't take his life. So Satan comes, and he inflicts him with boils, Okay, nasty boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Go to the next verse. And then it says, and he, being Job, took a putt shirt, it like was like a sharp rock, okay, to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. So he's taking like this this sharp object to try to scrape these boils off of him. And I want you to understand that when it says sitting among the ashes, that's equivalent to sitting at raised trash service. It would have been the the garbage pile, the garbage dump place of the city, probably would have had their sewage there too. This is where Job has found himself, with boils covered in his body, scraping at him with a rock, sitting in the raised trash service of the city that he lives in, and, and, and no children, no servants, no money, no cattle, everything's been taken from him. Next up, his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your incurs- integrity, curse God and die? So now, when you think about it, yes, he's still married, but even his wife has turned his back on him, right? He, and essentially, she's alive but, I mean, in the midst of this, to have your spouse, your rib, your half come to you and say, do you still hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die? Like, give it up. Like, quit. Like, why are you believing? Like, can you, imagine, can you imagine this? Like, I'm trying to set this scene here. And then next, this is how Job responds. He says, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity and in all of this job, excuse me, I just said job. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to give him on. in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. So he looks at his wife and says, he doesn't call her foolish. He says, you speak like one of the foolish women. That's key because he didn't sin. He didn't call his wife some name or call her out her name, even though she was talking to him a certain way. He said, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And then it goes on, and this is the key right here. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity, they came upon him. Now, let me tell you something. A lot of people read Job, and they hate these names. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Naamathite. I normally say termite, but I'm going to say Nehomethite right there, okay? Now, look at this. These three right here, if you read the book of Job, all right, if you read the book of Job, as you go forward, you'll see that as friends, they did a horrible job of comforting Job in his troubles, of comforting him in his sorrows. They started accusing him like, hey, maybe it's because you're not as righteous as you act, you know? Maybe there's some hidden sin going on in your life, and like nobody wants to hear that, When they've lost 10 children, their wife is turned on them. They got boils on their skin. So a lot of us would look at all of those words that were being said in the rest of the book of Job and be like, what kind of friends are those? What kind of friends? Those are horrible friends. But I'm here to tell you those are actually great examples of friends because of this section of the scripture right here before we get to their flaws. So look at this. Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him. And they came, each one from his own place. And this wasn't like you leaving from here and going to Pittsburgh or you leaving from here and going down the street to the north side of Brownsburg. They didn't have cars back then, okay? They walked to get to him. They made it a point to get to him, to be with him, each from their own place. And they made an appointment together to come and do what? To sympathize with him and comfort him, okay? How many of us know people going through something but just ain't got time to call and check in on them? just don't have a moment to send a text to check in on them, don't have time to go stop at the hospital and visit them. I mean, today, people we call friends, we don't have time for them because it causes us to sacrifice something. You know, if you're going through something, I love you on Sunday morning when I'm going to be here anyway, but to actually think about you throughout the week and take time out of my life would be a sacrifice because I'm a busy man, right? Well, I'm a busy woman. And, this, and, and, and so we say friends is the fact that, hey, I'm praying for you, Elizabeth. I know you're going through some stuff. I'm praying for you. And I might not even pray for you, but I'm going to tell you to your face i pray for you until I meet you next Sunday. And then you're going to say, oh, your prayers worked. And I'm going to think in my mind, I really didn't pray for you. But sure, <laughs> amen, praise God, right? That's a lot of us. That's a lot of us. Instead of, Elizabeth, not only am I going to pray for you, is there a time we can meet up so we can pray together? So we can really cry out to god together because i know what you're going through and i'm actually hurting for you so i want to come alongside you and i want to pray with you so that you can see that i'm willing to give my time and my energy to you so that you know that you're not alone in this that's sacrificial see the difference superficial sacrificial These brothers came to sympathize with him and to comfort with him. The next verse says, and then it says, and when they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him because he has boils all over his body, and he's probably down and out because, you know, he just lost 10 children, they don't recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept. Each one of them tore his robe and threw dust over his head toward the sky. That's important because when you threw dust over your head back then, it's equivalent to, like, if you know somebody with cancer and you shave your head, you shave your hair because of their chemotherapy treatment causes them to go temporarily, you know, bald, you you do that to sympathize and empathize with them to show them that they're not alone. That's what throwing dust over your head in that context is what it meant. It means I'm here with you. I see you. I see what you're going through. I'm throwing dust over my head on myself. I'm tearing my outer garments, which means they were rich too because they had outer garments. They tore their outer garments. Why? Because they were hurting for Job as friends, sacrificially. These, these fine linings mean nothing to me right now because of what you're going through. I'd rather be, I'd, I wish I could take your place rather than see you go through this. This is what a friend So then in Job uh, 2.13, finally it says, and then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. Now think about this. Where is Job sitting when they meet him? In the garbage dump, in the sewage. These are men of money, men of prestige, noble men who say, forget all of those titles, forget all of that stuff. If you're sitting in the garbage dump, I'm sitting in the garbage dump with you because you're my friend and I love you sacrificially. I'm going to get in it with you. I'm going to sit down with you for seven days and seven nights, not speaking a word, because what do you say to somebody who's lost 10 children? What do you say to them? There's nothing. There's nothing you can say. So you just sacrificially sit With them, And I'll tell you this, who can take away suffering without entering into it, okay? Let me give you a quick example. Let's just say, Adam, Adam, let's just say you're in a house right now. House is burning up, right? And Tyson, you're a firefighter, right? So Tyson, just tell me if this is proper protocol. We get the call, we roll up, firefighters are here. Adam, the house is on fire. Adam's like, I know, bro. Save me. I'm going to pray for you. God has got it. He's like, but the house is still burning up. Yup, I ain't getting in that. I could burn up too. That's superficial. You see, sacrificial friendship, sacrificial love says, Adam, even if I come over here to get you to bring you out, if if, if it burns us both up, it burns us both up, but my intention is to come in, reach out to you, and pull you out because I'm sacrificially loving you as a friend. That's what a friend does. He doesn't stand over here and just give all this talk. He enters into the situation. He sits down in the garbage dump with him to pull him out. Now, here's the thing. A lot of you say, well, yeah, that's the kind of friend I am. Well, if you're a believer, if you're a believer, and you have people that you say you love, and you've never shared the gospel with them, you're looking at them burning in a burning house and refusing to go in with them and pull them out. Think about that. The people you're going to be at the Super Bowl with tonight who don't know anything about Christ, and you're cool with that, You're looking at that burning house, you're like, Adam, I see you over there, but I'm trying to be politically correct and not force my beliefs on you, regardless if I see you in the fire, so I'm just going to stay quiet and let you burn. Why? Because I love you, or do I? A friend loves, sacrificially. I may get a bad name because I love you so much I will share the gospel with you anywhere. I may get a bad name because I will go and become all things to all men just to win some. Remember, Jesus sat down with sinners even while people were calling him a sinner, calling him a drunkard. I will sit down with people that I'll be a best friend sitting down with somebody in the community that nobody likes. And they're like, uh oh, what just happened to Pastor Rashad? I'm like, dude, this is how we reach them. If I won't sit down with them, if I won't enter into the house with them, how will I ever reach them? I don't care what you say about me. Say what you want. That's between me and God. I'll answer for that. I'm good. But right now, I got to go into this house. I got to go into the flames because I say that I love this brother. I say that I love this friend. And if I'm not willing to be sacrificial, then I'm simply superficial. Amen? So we go back to the verse, Proverbs 17, 17. So so we we got this. A friend is not superficial. A friend is sacrificial. But then look at this. It says a friend. uh, Go back. Go back. Mm -mm. Give me the verse. Stop it. You're cheating. Give me the verse. There you go. All right. She cheated. All right. So look, a friend loves at all times. Do you see that? At all times. Now, we all know some fair-weathered friends, right? We say fair-weathered friends. Rashad, what does that mean? That means on Sunday morning when it's 50 degrees outside in my life, I got all kinds of friends. Yo, it's 50 degrees on a Sunday. It feel good out there. I got all kinds of friends, right? But don't nobody want to be my friend Wednesday when it's negative 37 below outside, and if you walk outside, you might die. Don't nobody want to be my friend then. You see what I'm saying? Because they're fair-weathered friends. When the weather's good in my life, they want to be around, but when the weather's bad in my life, they don't want nothing to do with me. Right? Anybody got friends like that? Or got friends? Or maybe don't call them friends anymore, right? (laughs) But here's the thing. What about you? What about you? You see, because bad seasons... Storms in your life are not just about those who stick it out with you when you're going through it But what about you sticking it out with them when they're going through it? How many of you have cut a friend off because they offended you? How many of you have cut a friend off because they stepped on your toes a little bit? Hmm? How many have cut a friend off because they didn't meet your expectations? Maybe they were just having a bad season, and instead of sticking it out and loving them at all times, even in their lowest, you've cut them off. What kind of friend is that? And can you imagine if Jesus loved us in that way? Huh? What if Jesus was like, okay, you believed in me as your Lord and Savior, okay? But as soon as you have a bad season, it's over. How many of us will still be saved? Not me. You see what I'm saying? A friend loves at all times. So a friend is not just seasonal, a friend is steadfast. Now, I'll put my point up there. A friend is not seasonal, but steadfast, meaning he sticks it out through the thick and the thin all the time. You have to understand the power of presence. It's not about what you say as much as it is about where you are. Remember that. Uh, we have a deacon that's being, that's being ordained next week named John Graves. John, raise your hand. I want to make sure everybody knows you so that they know why you're there. All right, now, if you know anything about John and Susan, his wife, who's not in the, she's not in the service right now, she's in the back, she's in nursery. Okay, Susan knows things about this church before I do, okay? Like, Even when I am doing somebody's wedding, she beats me to the wedding somehow. I don't know how she does it. She beats me to the hospitals. She beats me to the births. She beats me to everything. And as a result, John beats me to everything. Well, when we were talking about deacons, and and just for those of you who don't know, deacons are those who minister to the flock to come alongside the pastors and minister to the flock. So anytime you go to a, a church, if you meet a deacon, they should have a ministry that they actually deacon to or minister to. They can't just be a deacon like, hey, what are you a deacon of? I'm just a deacon. I just like the title. No, a deacon actually has to have a ministry that he ministers to. So John, we were like, John, so as we get ready to ordain you, man, what do you feel is the call? Where, where would you be a deacon at? And John's, you know, he's telling these stories of, I love being at the hospital with the people who are hurting. I love being at the funerals. I love being at the weddings, at the births. I love just being with people and making sure they know they're not alone and this and that. And no matter what's going on in their life, they can call on me and I'll be there and all that. He goes, I just don't know what to call it. And I was like, presence. You're going to be our deacon of presence. Because I'm not always going to be able to be there. There'll be times that you call me to come to the hospital, and I don't—honestly, my phone's on the charger, and I don't get your call. But somehow, someway, with the special superpower Susan has, she'll know about it, <laughs> 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 and John will be there <laughs> for you. That's just how it works at Church on the Rock, right? But he's not seasonal about it. Maybe you've offended John just last Sunday— Maybe you said something out of character, out of tune. Maybe you're having a bad day, and John came up to you and interrupted your agenda, and you, right? And then you need somebody with you Tuesday. John's not going to say, well, because of what you did on Sunday, I refuse to come be with you on Tuesday. He's going to say, I'm on my way. You see that? You see what kind of love that is? You see what changes if we love like that? Like, just start in your marriage. What would happen if you didn't love each other? And we got pretty much adults in here. What would happen if you didn't love each other based on how the other was treating the other, right? You ain't having no fun with me tonight because you ain't love me the way I want to be loved. That's not how the kingdom works. But this is how we do it, right? Tit for tat. That's not friendship. That's not love. That's not what we're called to do. Imagine if Christ was like, I'm not going to the cross until you get right. Nobody would be saved. Instead, he says, while you're doing me wrong, while your sins are nailing me to the cross, I love you enough to not only be sacrificial, but to be steadfast and stay on here. He went on the cross temporarily. He didn't say, you know what? Now that I think about it, they're not going to do right by me. Man, let me get up on off this cross. He didn't do that. He stayed on knowing exactly what each and every one of you have done this week to disobey him let alone in your lifetime. And he says, I need you to love each other and love the world in the same way that a friend by my standards would love. He was not seasonal. He was steadfast. And this is why in Galatians, give me Galatians six nine. In Galatians 6.9, just a quick cross-reference, we see Paul say this, let us not lose heart in doing what? Let us not lose heart in doing what? See, look at this. This is what we do. I did good for so long, and nobody responded to the good I was doing. So as a result of nobody responding to the good I was doing, I quit. Y'all not worth my goodness. I give up. Y'all not doing what I asked you to do. You're not responding to my goodness. You're not responding to my love. So I quit. I'm not doing good anymore. But that's not a friend. That's a seasonal friend. I was good to you for a season. You see, when things was going right, I'm good to you, bro, because Every time I call, you pick up. Every time I want to go out and outside and ride my bike, you you're too old to be riding bikes like that. But I'm going to say it anyway, okay? Every time I want to play 2K, you're online. Every, I mean, so we're friends. But the moment you don't respond to my call or my text or you can't be where I wanted you to be, I'm cutting you off. Why? Because I'm a seasonal friend. The moment you have a bad day and need me the way I need you, I'm cutting you off. Why? Because I'm a seasonal friend. A friend loves at all times, never losing heart and doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Keep going. And he says, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are the household of faith, our friends. Everybody catching this? Everybody catching the difference between a worldly friend or a Facebook friend and a friend according to the Bible? This one little verse has so much packed into it about salvation, about Christ, and we're about to tie it all in. So go back to Proverbs 17, 17. I want you to see how this kind of finishes up. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend. So we know a friend loves. That's sacrificial over the superficial. We know that a friend loves at all times, which is steadfast over seasonal. Then it says, and the brother is born for adversity. Now, some people, scholars, will get in your commentaries and say they're contrasting a friend and a brother, but no, no, there's a comma there, not a semicolon, not a period. This is still the part of the same sentence. This is more of a comparison. So look at this. A friend loves, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So my last point is this. A friend is not a Satan, but a sibling. Now, some of you are like, I saw you, Rick. you was like, hmm, hold on now. Look at this. Some of you are like, a Satan? Well, of course a friend is not a Satan. Satan is Satan, Rashad. But hold on, let me, give you, let me bring you in real quick on some Bible knowledge here. Satan is not his name, okay? Satan is his title. Um, and actually in the Hebrew, it's like Satan or something like that, but, but it actually means adversary. The name Satan in the Hebrew means adversary. His name is not Satan. In the same way, some of us think, and I'm gonna educate you here, Jesus Christ. We think Christ is his last name. Like, what's Christ's last name? I mean, what's Jesus' last name? Christ, duh. And it's like, no, no, Christ is his title. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Okay, so Satan is not his actual name. Satan is the Hebrew word that, I mean, is the English word we use for the Hebrew word adversary. And it makes sense, right? He's in heaven talking to God about Ah, if you took away all his hedge of protection, he wouldn't, he wouldn't worship you then. And then he worships, he goes, well, if you let me actually do something to him, he would. that's the accuser, that's the adversary, that's Satan being on his job being an adversary, okay? Um, but that's not his name. People think his name is Lucifer. People think his name is uh, some other things. But, but Satan is his title, the adversary. A, a, a friend is not an adversary. A friend is not a Satan. A friend is a sibling. Why? Because when adversity hits, when your life is in the garbage dump, right, when you are at the lowest of low, a friend, a true friend that loves you sacrificially and loves you at all times, even when you're at the lowest of low, even when maybe because of what you're going through, you're a nasty person to that person, but that person still loves you. Why? Because they're your brother. They're your sister, they're your sibling. Something births out of adversity. When the going gets tough, right? When when things start crouching down inside, when, when things start crumbling on top of you, this is when you start seeing true friendship, true brotherhood, true siblinghood. And this ain't got nothing to do with DNA. I don't care if we come from the same parents or not, because if you really think about it, the first murder recorded in the Bible was by a blood brother. Okay? Cain killed Abel. First murder recorded in the Bible was two brothers. So that's why Proverbs 18:24 says that there is a friend who is closer than a brother. Think about that. Right here, it says, a man of too many friends comes to ruin. Too many friends can destroy you. Why? Because you're 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 taking this worldly term of friends and you're like, I got 4,800 Facebook friends. So I got 4,000 plus friends. I'm really loved in the world. And then then if I lose my wife or lose my daughter, how many of them 4,800 people going to really do more than just put like, love, prayers? Who's going to actually come sit with me? Who's going to actually come cry with me? Who's going to actually be there when I'm being a nasty person to them for what I've lost? Not 4,000, I'll tell you that right now. Not 4,000. So, So a man of too many friends can come to ruin if he puts his dependency on them friends. But look, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother because he becomes your brother in that moment. He becomes your actual brother. And think about this. This is what God, this is what Jesus has been doing this entire time. Even in Mark, give me Mark 3. Look at Mark 3 real quick. So Mary... Um, and, and Jesus' brother, so his mother and his brothers, arrived. They're looking for Jesus. They're, he's been preaching. His ministry's starting to take off. And, and, and people are really getting to the point where, like, there's some drama coming, right? When you start preaching the gospel, when you start teaching the kingdom, you will have opponents. You will have persecution. I don't know who told you that as a Christian you will never go through nothing, that prosperity stuff I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you the Bible promises you persecution. It promises you if they hate you, remember they hated me first, right? So as... as As he's starting to grow in popularity and things, there's going to be opponents and rivals. And they're standing outside. They sent word to Jesus, and they called him. Keep going. It says that a crowd was sitting around him inside this house, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Look what Jesus says. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Keep going. He says, Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mothers and my brothers. So so imagine my mama, who I thought... (laughs) She popped in on me last week. She didn't pop in on me this week. But imagine my mama being outside, basically like, man, people been talking about Church on the Rock, and they didn't heard about you, and they're they, they going to come and get you. they they mad about what you preach, preaching. they mad about the gospel. Somebody go in there and tell my son to come out here, come to me. And basically, if I'm reciting Jesus, he looks at you and goes, behold, my mothers, my brothers, my sisters, it's y'all. It's y'all in here not afraid of what the world's going to bring, not afraid of what's going on out there. It's you in here, and he goes on, and, and, he, and is there one more verse on there? Yes, and it says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Do you see this? Do you see this? He's looking around and says, hey, I am the creator of the universe, all right? Jesus, God himself in the flesh. And I'm looking at you and saying, if you do the will of God, because you cannot take obedience away from friendship or brotherhood with Christ, but if you do the will of God, you are my brother and my sister and my mother in a sense. Can you fathom that? I don't know about you. Billy Joe, you can help me out with this. When I got to Brownsburg in 1996, I was the only black person. All right? I was the only black. Well, not in Brownsburg, but in the school, okay? Okay. Maybe in Brownsburg now. Think of Well, my, my parents. Never mind. I'm sorry. I'm everywhere. Anyway, my parents are black, believe it or not. All right. All right. <laughs> so check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Billy, you can help me with this because sometimes people don't believe what I'm saying. I'm the only black in that school. I get there in the middle of the semester, so it's really awkward because it's the middle of the semester and I'm switching schools. I get to the lunchroom and nobody will sit with me. Everybody's worried. If I sit with the black guy and my my friend of his and what are people going to say about me if I sit with him, nobody wants to be around me. Nobody talks to me in the hallways. Nobody wants anything to do with me for that first week. Has anybody, y'all been to school and walked in and like got the lunch table and nobody wanted to sit with you? Maybe y'all cooler than me. Y'all probably didn't have that problem. All right, anybody ever been at work and it's like the first day of work and then it's time to go to the lunch break and you're just sitting there like, yeah, I don't know nobody in this mug, Right? So I'm just going to sit here by myself and eat my broccoli and my chicken. I'm on a diet, so that's what mine is, right? All right, but you know what it feels like, right? To be alone, to be alone. I wish, I wish I knew Christ back then to know that even in that moment when I'm the only black kid, In the cafeteria, sitting at the table by myself, wondering if anybody will like me, if anybody will come alongside me, if anybody will love me at this school. I wish I knew Christ to know that no matter if nobody ever sat at my table, I am not alone. I wish I knew Christ back then. I wish I knew Christ when I lost my son and I couldn't talk to my wife and she couldn't talk to me and we were struggling on what to believe and what not to believe and I felt so alone. I wish I knew Christ then to know that he will never leave nor forsake me, that he has sacrificially already died for me, that he's already covered this, that even in this bad season, he's still right next to me and that he would call me brother if I would just accept his salvation. I wish. I knew Christ when I was sitting in the garbage dump, scraping spiritual boils off of myself because of the things that, for me, I'm not Joe, self-inflicted pain that I put on myself. I wish I knew Christ back then, because I don't know about you, but I can't promise you I got three friends who would show up for me. I can't promise you that. I got a lot of good friends. But I don't know three friends who would show up with me at Ray's trash service while I'm scraping boils off myself. I didn't lost anything that I could give them for their time, so their time is voluntary, and they're willing to sit for seven days and seven nights with me. I can't promise you I got that. But Jesus is that. You understand what I'm saying? If we just go back through the points and put Jesus there, Jesus is sacrificial. He died for you. And and here, he's better than me. He's better than me. I might die for a friend, but to die for an enemy? An enemy. I might, I might die for a friend or a family member or a wife or a daughter, but he looks at me, somebody who was spit in his face repeatedly, somebody who if I was there, I'd probably put the crown of thorns on his head. If I was there, i probably nailed him to the cross myself. He looks at me and says, I love you, and I'm willing to die for you. Even as an enemy, he's willing to be my friend. And Jesus, he's steadfast. He's not only sacrificially steadfast because even after giving my life to Christ, I have fallen short. Any Christians in here fell short this week? Anybody, let's be honest, has any Christians fell short this week? And Jesus promises you that he has not stopped loving you. Can you imagine that? And remember what sin is. Remember what sin is. Sin is the most despicable thing you could do to Jesus. Remember this. Sin is what put Jesus on the cross. So when we disobey him in this last week, we have continued to show why he had to die on the cross for our souls. And he says, and I love you. I love you. How? How do you love me? How do you love me when I willingly chose to sin against you even after knowing you died for me? I'm not ignorant. I'm not ignorant to my sins. I chose to sin this week. I chose to not spend time with you this week. Father, in fact, while you're being a friend to me that's, that's steadfast, I'm seasonal to you. Think about that. How many days did you spend, how many, how many mornings and nights did you spend with God this week? Some of us, if we're being honest, could even raise our hand. Well, I ain't talked to God since last Sunday. Why? Because I'm seasonal. It was real cold this week, so I didn't have time to spend time with God. I was binge-watching whatever was on Netflix, right? Like, we're seasonal. Or life is rough right now, Rashad. I don't feel like talking to God. Why? Because we're seasonal. Now, what if he responded to our flakiness, huh? We're, We're flaky friends to him, and he's a faithful friend to us. So Jesus is steadfast. And lastly, Jesus is a sibling. He literally died so that you and I could be adopted into the family of God so that he could freely and happily call us brothers and sisters. That's in Hebrews. He says, it says he died and he, he's happy and excited to call you brother and sister. I don't, I, my wife barely wants to call me husband. <laughs> like, like, seriously, think of all the things that people want to call you in this world your enemies especially. And Jesus, who you made an enemy, wants to call you brother, wants to call you sister, wants to call you friend. This is the Bible. This is the gospel. So this, this is what Jesus says in, in John 15. Is that, is that right, Leah? John 15? I'm off the top of my head right now. I'll put my notes away. John 15. Yes, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his what? His friends. Greater love have no one than this. Go back to the verse real quick. Greater love has no one than this. That one laid down his life for his friends. And he goes on and says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Because you cannot separate Jesus' friendship from obedience. You can't do it. So Jesus is sacrificial. He's steadfast. He's a sibling. Jesus is the best friend. Can everybody understand that this morning? Can everybody? Can everybody see how that works out, including the teenagers? Can the teenagers see that? So, real quick, let me let me give you um, some some quick examples just here at Church on the Rock. Um, two about eighteen months ago, he told me eighteen months ago, Lewis Orbanzik was in a coma. Uh, Lewis is one of our one of our you know soon to be deacons, but he was in a coma. He had a bacterial infection in his body. He was in a coma, and he went to the hospital. And I had just like it was my very First week of being full-time here at Church on the Rock, and one of my good friends is in a coma. Um, Me and Josh Allen drive down to the hospital, um, and we spend the night, like, for a week straight. For, like, a week straight, we just spend the night. And there's nothing we can say. What do you say to Amanda, his wife, when your husband is in a coma fighting for his life, and we're not sure if he's going to come out? There's nothing we can say. We just wanted to be there. Why? Because we're your friends. That's it. Um, Dave, since you're here. Dave Matthews over there. Raise your hand real quick for me. Boom, that's my brother right there. So Dave was going through a difficult time in life and all that good stuff, and me and him had actually had a good, like, theological debate, and we got kind of heated and blah, blah, blah. And even at the end of that, he needed a ride to the airport, and because I love that brother, I said, I'm going to take you. He even said, why are you taking me to the airport? I said, because I love you. Remember that? Remember that conversation? And we drove to the airport, regardless of our Heated conversation about a day earlier as friends. And, every, t- and when, every time he walks through those doors, I hug him. He passed me on the back way too hard. <laughs> but yeah. but is like, Ugh. I'm like, oh, Dave, I told you about that. But he's my. He's he's my friend. And this is what happens. This is what adversity does. Many of you in this room right now have had some type of adversity. And remember, it doesn't have to be Job adversity. You don't have to lose 10 children and everything you got to call it adversity. It could be marriage problems. It could be financial problems. It could just be you feel lonely and isolated right now. And when I get to come alongside you and be with you in those moments, guess what? That adversity births a sibling. So when I tell you I love you, when I say, sis, and I hit you yesterday on a text and was laughing about your comment on Facebook and all that, and we were laughing, I said, thank you, sis. And when I call you sis, I don't call you sis because it's the superficial thing to do on a Sunday morning. I call you sis because I love you, Amanda. You know that. You know that. Don't call me pastor. It makes me weird. (laughs) She's she, she like, side. she don't call you pastor, but she's putting that on for ya, yeah. superficial. No, no. <laughs> I'm just playing, she calls me pastor a lot. But no, 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 seriously, look around this room, and what you'll find, and if you can't find it, there's a problem, but look around this room, and you should be able to identify some people who you've cried with. Identify some people who you've been broken with, who you've sat in the garbage dump with while they were at the lowest of the low, and if you can't find that person, we got a problem. We got a major problem because I teach siblinghood here. I teach church family. We don't call ourselves a congregation. At Church on the Rock, we do not use congregation. We say family. We say sis. We say brother, June. I call you mama June. I call Lucy mama Lucy. We we don't use that language here that's anything else but family. Why? Because we've been through adversity together. We've been through adversity together. We've hurt together. We've been broke together. So you should be able to identify that in each other. And if you're not, there's a problem. There's a problem. And it's either a problem that we're doing or more than likely a problem that is you. So what I'm, what I'm asking now, I'm going ask Clinton to come up. I'm ask Todd to get ready to come up. As, I, as I'm closing this out, this is what I want you to take from this. So as a, as a pastor, I've tried to be a good friend according to the Bible. I've tried to be sacrificial, I've tried to be steadfast, I've tried to be a sibling. Let me tell you something, I fail often, more often than not. Jason hates me because I don't pick up the phone. Often, normally it's because it's his number, but that's just another story. I don't always pick up the, the, the phone every time somebody calls, I'll admit it. Sometimes I'm selfish, okay? I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not always there through the thick and the thin, sometimes I got my own things going, I'm not always the brother that the Bible calls me to be because I'm a fallen human being. I hope to improve in those areas, but I fail often, and I fail often because I will never be the only brother and friend you need, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? I know you love your wife. I know you love your husband and your cousins and your church family and all that. But every single one of them, at some point, will fail you, not even by choice, but just by circumstances. And what it should do is force you to only find comfort and joy in Christ and Christ alone. Now think about this as you get ready for this song, okay? I want you to think about this. He decided that he wanted to be my friend when I was the dirtiest person anybody in this room ever knew. If I told you my testimony, and I've told it a gazillion times, you would probably frown and say, why would anybody love you? And if I'm being completely transparent with you, I couldn't even love myself. If my mama was here, she would tell you, even I gave up on Rashad. Because of how wicked he had become. I thought there was no other hope for him except for hell. This was the life that I was living in 2011. That is a short eight years ago when Jesus decided that he wanted to be my friend. That he wanted to call me brother. And even to this day, I continuously remember saying out loud to my pastor, there's no way that man, that God, could ever be gracious and loving and merciful to someone as dirty, as filthy, as in the garbage dump as me. But Jesus spoke to me through his word and said, if you receive the free gift of salvation... All that dirt, all that filth, I will make you clean. I will make you clean. God will no longer see your filth. He will no longer see your dirt, and he will only see my blood. That long before you were born, I died for you. Talk about not being seasonal. Before time existed, I made the decision to die for you says, before the foundations of the earth, Christ made the determination to die for you so that he could call you friend, so that he could call you brother, so that you could call him Lord, so that you could call him Savior, and so that you could call God Father. I don't necessarily want you to stand up. If you feel led to stand up, you stand up. But this is a song that Tyler's about to sing that I want you to just hear God talk to you. Because maybe, maybe you're in my situation. Maybe this week you have felt in the garbage dump. Maybe there's something going on in your life that has you feeling lower than low. Maybe you've lost somebody and nobody's been there. Maybe you've lost your marriage and nobody's been there. Maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you maybe your finances have jacked up. Maybe your relationships are maybe you go to church on the rock and you feel like nobody cares about you. Maybe you feel invisible this morning. Maybe you feel too dirty to be loved this morning. Maybe you feel too broken to be loved this morning. And Jesus looks at you and says, you are clean if you just believe in me. You are not alone if you just believe in me. Give your life over to me. So please, just listen to the words. And if you feel led, stand up and sing with us. Or just let the words minister to your soul. Amen? Amen.
1: I Washed in the blood of your sacrifice, your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty rags are purified, I am clean. Washed in the
0: We don't deserve this moment. We don't deserve this moment. I hope you can feel the weight of what Jesus is is calling out to you, okay? I know we fail each other. I know people are hard. I know relationships are hard. But if you think about the way Jesus has loved you, how can you not love others with that same type of love? This morning, we we want anyone who doesn't have that friendship, that, that relationship, it's simple, okay? There's not a whole bunch of stuff that you have to do except for receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Make a commitment in your life to believe in him as everything you need to be clean. It starts with recognizing in humility that you are not clean. Any of us can look at ourselves from the time of being little kids and know that we're selfish, and we're prideful, and we're mean, and we're greedy, and we're we're such, like, animalistic people in so many ways, chasing after our own desires, wanting to do everything for ourselves. And we, we, if we're honest, we are not clean. And yet the words of the song says, he washed me, he cleansed me, he died for me, his blood covers me, which tells you, the non-believer, or even the believer, you didn't do anything. He did it for you because he loves you, because he's a friend, because he's a brother. So if that's you this morning, if, if that's you who want that relationship, if you never want to feel alone, never want to feel forsaken, never want to feel isolated in your life for the remainder of your time here on earth and then for eternity and beyond, give your life to Jesus this morning. It's not about coming down here and saying some special prayer. It's not about talking to me. It's not about having all hands laid. It's about you right where you're at right now, surrendering to Christ as Lord and Savior and receiving the simple gospel that says he died for you. As I get ready to pray us out, I want to remind you, we have two souls being baptized this morning. One made the decision about a week ago. The other made the decision on the way to church this morning. That simple. And as a result of their decisions, both are clean. So please stick around and celebrate the baptism with us, and then we will get you to your homes. The kids are coming in. It gets a little chaotic when they get in here, but we need them to see this. And if I could have the men who are going to help me move the baptismal, To the front, we will transition into our baptism service. I will pray after the baptism. Bryce and Bronson, make your way this way, buddy.
1: This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock in Brownsburg, Indiana. We hope that it has challenged you to grow deeper in your walk with Christ. If you would like any information about our church, please visit our website, www.churchontherockbb.com.